Well, let us continue in worship as we open our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus, chapter 20, verse 17. I invite you this morning to listen to God's word as it is read and do so with faith, knowing that this is God's holy inspired word. Exodus 20 verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of opening your holy, inerrant, and sufficient word. Help us to make much of this time which is given by you to us. We thank you for the gift of time. Help us to use it wisely this morning as we focus our attention, our hearts, affections, and our thoughts upon you and your revealed will. And as always, we pray, Father, that you will save sinners, that you will sanctify the saints, and that you will exalt the name of your Son above all things. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we have officially uh, come to the end of our series on the Ten Commandments. And that being the case, I will divide this sermon into two halves. In the first half, I will deal with the specific uh, issue of coveting, and I will follow this by uh, seeking to bring this entire series to a close, and I will do so by extending three urgent calls, but I will reveal what those are when we get there. First, let us take some time to consider the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, In 1924, a song was released with the following title, The Grass is Always Greener on the Other Fellow's Yard. Here's how the song begins. Why do you wash your windows, said Mrs. Haggerty. So I can watch the neighbors, said Mrs. Hennessy. They have a new piano. She has a hat I like and lots of better things than I have. That's not what I'm saying. That's the song. That's I'm quoting the song. Now, the rest of the song is about this seemingly normal but never-ending struggle between neighbors and how they always seem to be looking to the other side of the fence, always finding something new to see and want for themselves. As I read the lyrics of the song, I noticed a cycle which goes like this. The more they look the more they want, and the less they appreciate what they do have. It is actually a quite clever song. But as I listened to the music of the song, I couldn't help but notice the the irony, which was almost cruel. The music was extremely lighthearted. It sounded like what you would expect coming from the 1920s. The voice was very casual, nonchalant, and even the musical arrangements gave me the uh, odd sense of happiness. It was a very strange experience. Everything about the song felt very, very light and fluffy, 
But that is precisely where the cruelty of the irony lies. What the song took so lightly, the Bible presents as a very weighty, weighty matter. The world may think very lightly of coveting. God certainly does not. He does not. I will offer you three truths that flow out of the 10th commandment, plus three practical lessons that we gather from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. First, coveting is an issue of the heart. Please note that the 10th commandment does not speak of an outward action, but of an inward disposition. It goes straight to the heart. In other words, coveting does not mean acting with your body. Coveting is purely, purely internal. In a real sense, the 10th commandment offers an appropriate summary of what all the 10 commandments are all about. It all starts and ends in the heart. It all starts and ends in the heart. But the 10th commandment comes with a very unique force. It is actually devastating. It is devastating. Here's why. When you think of all the other commandments in the second table of the law, it is possible to find simple excuses. So for instance, in reference to the sixth commandment, someone could say, you know, the sixth commandment is about murder. Someone could say, well, I have never actually killed someone with my own hands. I have not crossed that line. I am not doing too bad after all. Now we know that's only half of it, right? We know that the Lord Jesus spoke of anger as spiritual murder. But let's just go with it for the sake of argument. Let us agree that the man making that argument has a point. Good. So you've never killed anyone with your own hands. But what do you do with the 10th commandment? What do you do with the 10th commandment? In the 10th commandment, no external action is required. No external action is required. In the 10th commandment, you see exclusively is about inner desires. Here's an example of what I mean. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus to ask about how to inherit eternal life, what did Jesus say to him? Well, Jesus said, keep the commandments. The young man replied, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? To which Jesus replied, Okay, now take what you have, everything you have, sell it and give the money to the poor and come follow me. How did the man respond? The Bible says he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions in a masterful way. Jesus left this quote unquote perfect man speechless and not only speechless, but sorrowful. Why? Because Jesus went to the heart of the matter, which is always the heart. Jesus uncovered this man's true love, namely his possessions, his possessions. He uncovered his true love. This naturally leads us to the second truth. I want you to notice about the 10th commandment. Coveting is an issue of idolatry. It's not only an issue of the heart. It is an issue of idolatry. In fact, please notice 
that the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment is related to the first and the second commandments. How? Well, coveting is defined in the Bible as idolatry, which is what the first and second commandments forbid. The first two commandments deal with proper and improper worship. And when you look at those two commandments, the first and the second, you realize that the bottom line is this. You either worship God or you are an idolater. You either worship God or you are an idolater. There is no in-between option. It is like those definitive statements that we find in scriptures, such as you are either for Christ or you are against him, but you cannot be both. You will either worship God or money, but you can't worship both. When we arrive at the 10th commandment, we have come full circle, full circle. In the 10th commandment, the same issue is being addressed. Therefore, we started this series with the dangers of idolatry, and we are finishing this series with the dangers of idolatry. Or we could say it like this. The first and second commandments were all about avoiding idolatry through a proper knowledge of God's nature and uniqueness. The 10th commandment is all about avoiding idolatry through a proper knowledge of the heart's propensities and sinfulness, but it's full circle. Now I said that the Bible defines coveting as idolatry. Where does it say that it does in Ephesians chapter five, verse five, where Paul says this, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Did you hear that? Paul clearly defines coveting or covetousness as idolatry, idolatry. The rich young ruler was then an idolater. This, this man, the man who grew up thinking he was doing all right in the eyes of God was discovered to be an idol worshiper, but he didn't bow the knee to an image. He bowed his heart to his possessions. What a devastating day that must have been for that young man in just a matter of minutes. He went from being self-righteous to being self-condemned. But enough about him. What about you? What about you? Where do you stand this morning? For a long while, I have found it very interesting that the apostle Paul, when explaining the doctrines of sin and the law of God in the book of Romans, his mind went to the 10th commandment. In Romans chapter seven, verse seven, he said, what shall we say that the law is sin by no means? Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin for I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. This is a very interesting statement. And here's why in the same book in Romans chapter two, Paul says that the law has been written where I'm going to give you a clue in the heart even in the heart of unbelievers. So how can then he say in chapter seven that he didn't know what it was to covet until he read it in the law. Was he contradicting himself? No, 
I believe the answer is as follows. What Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7 verse 7 is not that he not, did not know what coveting was in the sense that he was innocent of it. What I believe Paul was saying is that the law finally had its intended effect upon him. He had missed it. He had misunderstood the purpose of the law, but then Paul's eyes were open to the true purpose of the law and the law killed him because the law drew out of him the ugly reality of his own heart. And what Paul saw, he did not like through the law. Paul discovered that his heart was full of coveting the true meaning of the law had its intended effect upon Paul. And this was devastating. Thus Paul concludes in Romans seven eleven, sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me, killed me. But how did this happen? Here's how Paul answers that question. Here's the process explained in chapter seven, verse 13 of Romans. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. What is good? The commandment. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. In other words, let me put it in different words. The commandment, you shall not covet, simply amplified Paul's covetous heart and it left him without an excuse before God. We could say that the 10th commandment became like a magnifying glass, which once placed against the heart only allows a person to see the true size of his or her covetousness. Let me put it in my own words. The 10th commandment, please listen to this. The 10th commandment is not here to give you a high five and to celebrate your own personal inner goodness. Rather, the 10th commandment is here to uncover your covetousness in order to inform you of your desperate need of God's grace in Christ. And that's what happened to Paul. He realized that if God is not gracious to him, he's condemned. He needs someone else. He needed Christ. Please do not miss that point. Now we'll return to that when we get to the second half of the sermon. So please hold on to that thought. The third truth is this. In an ultimate sense, coveting is self idolatry. Not only idolatry, but when I push it further is self idolatry. How do I know this? Well, let me explain. I'm glad you asked. I know that coveting is self idolatry because coveting is the opposite of loving neighbor. And what, what is the second table of the law from, from commandment number five through 10? It's about how do you summarize the whole thing? Love your neighbor as yourself. Coveting is the opposite of loving your neighbor. It is in fact a denial of it. Here's why. When you covet, you turn people into your servants rather than the other way around. 
coveting is the reversal of the gospel call to consider others more important than yourselves, as we are told to do in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let me see if I can build this case by looking at how the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment is worded. Read it again with me. Verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The language reveals at least three categories in which coveting can take place. Coveting can be material lust for possessions. It can be sexual lust for forbidden relationships, and it can be utilitarian Lust for the increase of my earthly comfort. The key word is lust. Lust. Coveting is spiritual lust that seeks to satisfy an inordinate love that no longer centers on God, but on the self. I'm going to repeat that because that's kind of a definition. Coveting is spiritual lust that seeks to satisfy an inordinate love that no longer centers on God, but on the self it centers on me. And that's an insight that came out of Jonathan Edwards. I believe the apostle John said it best in first John chapter two, verse 16 for all that is in the world. What is in the world? Three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. At the end of the day, coveting is self-idolatry because it centers around the eyes, the flesh, and our pride, and it forgets about neighbor. It's all about forgetting about your neighbor. It is about living your life for yourself. In fact, it denies love for neighbor. So let me give you a few practical lessons that we'll learn from the Lord Jesus regarding coveting. I have three, all of which uh, I have drawn from the parable of the rich fool out of the gospel of Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, Luke chapter 12. And we will read a few of these words. We will read all of it. But this is the Lord Jesus speaking about coveting. Luke 12. Before Jesus starts the parable, he gives them a warning in verse 15. Here's the warning before he begins the parable. Take care and be on your guard against all what? All covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Before, before we look at the parable, consider the urgency of Jesus' words. Take care. Be on your guard. It almost sounds like coveting is always just around the corner. Now, let us see what this parable says about coveting and how to fight it. First lesson is this. Coveting is at the heart of greediness. Coveting is at the heart of greediness. Consider with me the words of uh, chapter 12, verses 16 through 19. The land of a rich, rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. 
And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and drink and be merry. Almost like the American dream. Since this parable is concerning the sin of covetousness, we can conclude that greediness, this excessive desire for more and more possessions is a manifestation of covetousness. Notice how in part of the parable, you almost think the man will do the right thing when he said, I will tear down my barns. You almost hope to finish that sentence with, and I will share it with everybody. But no, the man wants to accumulate even more, which tells us this, a covetous heart expresses itself through an excessive desire for more. How do we fight covetousness? Well, we do the opposite. We exercise generosity. You see the man in the parable? He just kept accumulating, accumulating, accumulating. He wanted bigger barns. So how do we fight covetousness? We exercise generosity. And this takes us back to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and humbling himself. Philippians chapter two, Jesus did all that he did to share with us the abundance of his eternal life. He is eternally generous. This is then how we put covetousness to death through generosity. Here's the second lesson. Coveting produces damning spiritual forgetfulness. This is very important. Coveting produces damning spiritual forgetfulness, forgetfulness. Consider verses 20 and 21 of Luke 12. After the man had made all his plans to keep everything he had accumulated, God said to him, what word did he use? Fool. That's God speaking. Fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Coveting comes with such a force that it makes you forget that this world is not your final home. It makes you comfortable in this world. It anchors your life and your desires only to that which is seen and felt. This is the outcome of covetousness. So consider this, both material, sexual, and utilitarian covetousness can lead to a damning spiritual forgetfulness. So how do we fight it? We develop spiritual mindedness. Or as Colossians chapter three, verse two said, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Consider the intentionality of that word. Set your minds. It won't just happen. You have to be intentional. Set your minds. And lesson number three. Coveting can express itself through anxiety. This is very interesting. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Immediately following the parable, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 22, therefore, I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life. The word therefore is key. Why? Because it connects the previous parable to the words that he's about to say. In essence, Jesus is making a connection between covetousness and anxiety. Who would have thought that coveting could lead to anxiety? So I just have a few simple questions. Could it be that much of our anxiety comes from a covetous heart? Let's think about the three areas, material, sexual, and utilitarian. Could it be that we covet acceptance, recognition, validation, or sympathy to the degree that we become anxious about all our relationships? Could it be that we covet possessions in our lives to the degree that we become anxious about not having enough? It's never enough. Or could it be that we covet sexually? So we become anxious for more and sexual sins turn out to be nothing more than the idols that satisfy the cravings of self idolatry. I believe it can be. So how do we protect ourselves? We must continue to cultivate contentment in Christ. We must continue to cultivate contentment in Christ. We persevere in this endeavor until the very end, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, said Paul in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we fight coveting by pressing on By pressing on toward the goal of knowing Christ Jesus, this is the key. This is why you come to church every Sunday. This is why you make it a priority because these things help your mind stay on Christ. Okay. That's all I want to say about coveting. I want to give you now three urgent calls, and this will be a conclusion to the 10 commandments to all the entire series. So we have spent 13 weeks looking at the 10 commandments as recorded for us in Exodus chapter 20. What are the main takeaways? I will leave you with three urgent calls that I hope you will answer. The first call is this, a call for even a call to evangelical fear, a call to evangelical fear. Consider with me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. Let's go back to the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 22. This is after the giving of all the Ten Commandments. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. Brothers and sisters, we are the people of God. And God still talks with us from heaven, but now not from a cloud or a mountain. Our Mount Sinai is this book. This is where we encounter God Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. God speaks to us through his written word. He has spoken to us in the 10 commandments. What will you do in response? My hope is that we, as we go through the 10 commandments, you have been encouraged 
and comforted, but also convicted of sin. My hope is that you have been able to identify areas in your life in which repentance is needed. And not only that, you will identify those specific sins, but that you will indeed repent and not think that the grace of God is a cover-up for you to continue in sin. Ultimately, I want us to live in the fear of God. I want us to live and walk in the fear of God. Consider what happened after the people of Israel saw the flashes of lightning and heard the thunder coming from Mount Sinai in verse 19. They were afraid and trembled. And this is what the people told Moses. Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Do we fear God and his word to the degree that we tremble when we hear it preached? Do we have this deep sense of reverence and awe when we hear God's word preached and taught? And do we want our lives to be ruled by God's word? Listen to the word of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 66, verse two. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do we tremble at God's words or do we tremble at man's words? To tremble at God's word is to understand its supremacy over all things. And to tremble at God's word is to submit to its authority over all of life. So do we tremble at God's word? When the Bible says, do not commit adultery, do not allow lust to enter your heart. Do we tremble at that word and seek to be faithful to it? Fear the Lord and you will walk in wisdom. The second call is this. A call to gospel hope, a call to gospel hope. Some weeks ago, I mentioned a a book titled Suicide of the West by James Burnham. Burnham was a strong critic of the philosophy of Marxism. And one of his main criticisms was that Marxism was absolutely wrong in promising utopia on earth. Roger Kimball, who wrote an introduction to Burnham's book, described Burnham's rejection of this Marxist idea of earthly utopia like this. And I quote, he Burnham had too low, too accurate an opinion of human nature to be seduced by the promise of perfection. I believe Burnham was correct. The 10 commandments verify this to be true behind underneath and all around the 10 commandments is the fact that humanity is fallen. Otherwise we would not need him, but we need them because humanity is fallen. Therefore in this world, there will be no utopia. There will be no paradise. Therefore, in this world, we will continue to see the sin of man spread everywhere. In this world, there will be no lasting peace. Why? 
Here's why. In this world, there will always be people who break the first commandment by improper and false worship. In this world, there will always be people who break the second commandment by idolatry. In this world, there will always be people who break the third commandment by profanity. In this world, there will always be people who break the fourth commandment through indifference. Moreover, in this world, there will always be people who break the fifth commandment through disobedience to parents. In this world, there will always be people who break the sixth commandment by murder and hate. In this world, there will always be people who break the seventh commandment by adultery and lust. In this world, there will always be people who break the eighth commandment by stealing and injustice. In this world, there will always be people who break the ninth commandment by lying and deceiving. And in this world, there will always be people who break the 10th commandment by coveting and discontentment. So no, there won't be utopia on earth. Marxism is a failed philosophy full of empty promises. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is true hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true hope. Even though utopia is not for this world. We can live with hope because our Lord Jesus has promised a better world, a better world, a better city, a true paradise. He will reign with perfect righteousness. Sin will be no more. Therefore, we will be like him. The source of this hope is Jesus Christ himself, for he is our peace. Through his life, he fulfilled God's law to perfection. In his death, he paid the penalty for our disobedience to God's law. And by his resurrection, he defeated our death and brought about new life. He ascended on high. Now he is interceding for us at the right hand of the father. And one day he will return for us and usher in the new heavens and the new earth when this happened listen to this when this happens when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in the 10 commandments will perfectly be fulfilled in us all of it why because in the new heavens and the new earth love will rule everything What are the 10 commandments about love the Lord, your God, love your neighbor as yourself. This will be fulfilled to perfection in the new heavens and the new earth. Everything will be finally bonded together in perfect harmony. We will finally love God as we were meant to love him. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we will finally love each other as we were meant to love because we will have the fullness of the spirit. It will be pure perfection and Christ will be our delight eternally. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 51, seven and eight. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. This is the truth of God's word. So let us take heart in that gospel hope, which will never end. It will never end. And third, 
And I will finish with this. As we consider the Ten Commandments, the third urgent call is a call to repentance and faith. I just talked to you about the new heavens and the new earth. Well, let me now do the opposite. Hell will just be the opposite of the new heavens and the new earth. If you are an unbeliever this morning, please listen to this carefully. Hell, hell will be the place in which all the sin and hatred found in the unregenerate human heart will be fully and finally unleashed with no restraints. The essence of hell will be this. Everyone with no exception will hate each other to the fullest extent. And everyone with no exception will hate God to the fullest extent. It will be a perpetual and endless breaking of the 10 commandments. That my friend will be hell. I can put it like this in hell, the putrid, the putrid desire to live in disobedience to God's law will be fully actualized. And the only thing that will be absent in hell will be love. There will be none. Love will be completely removed. While the new heavens and the new earth will be a world of pure love. Hell would be a world of hatred in its purest form. It will be eternal. Listen to this. I'm going to apply the 10 commandments to this in hell. All family relationships will be broken by hatred in hell. Everyone will want to murder, but there will be no death for there will be no relief in hell. Everyone will lust, but no one will find pleasure. Everyone will lie, but they will never find the truth. It will be a world of utter deception and desperation. And everyone will experience unrestrained covetousness, but no one will ever find contentment. In Romans 1, we see that God unleashes his wrath upon men by giving them a small glimpse, just a taste of the rottenness found within the heart. In hell, however, God will unleash his wrath by giving men a full view, a full view of the true wickedness of the heart. And it will be pure, unbounded, unending misery. In hell, the deep darkness found in the human heart will be fully uncovered and there will be nothing to stop it. Nothing. Hence, as Jesus said, in hell, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must understand that the Ten Commandments are not given for your salvation. They are here for your condemnation. I want to make sure you understand how the law of God is intended to operate within your heart. So let me try to illustrate. Think of a mausoleum. A mausoleum is basically a fancy tomb. 
The Ten Commandments are like what would happen if you threw a big rock, a boulder, against the front wall of a mausoleum. The boulder would smash that beautiful wall to pieces and uncover that behind it, there was nothing but death. The Ten Commandments are that boulder. The wall is human pride. And behind that wall, there is nothing but spiritual death. So today, I invite you to escape the wrath to come by finding refuge in Christ through repentance of sins and faith in him. I invite you to look to the one who was crucified on the cross. Jesus died for our improper and unacceptable worship. Jesus died for our idolatry. Jesus died for the irreverence and insult given to God's holy name by our lips and our thoughts. Jesus died for our indifference to the Lord's day. Moreover, Jesus died for all the times we have dishonored our parents. Jesus died for our murderous and hateful hearts. Jesus died for our sexual immorality and our lust. Jesus died for our thievery and our dishonesty. Jesus died for our lying and our deceiving. And Jesus died for our covetousness and our lack of contentment. Jesus died for our sins. And now he himself calls you to repent of your sins and believe in his mighty name. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So I leave you with the words of Jonathan Edwards and I quote, therefore, let all that are in a Christ less condition amongst us seriously consider these things and not be like the foolish people in the old world who would not take warning when Noah told them that the Lord was about to bring a flood of waters upon the earth or like the people of Sodom who would not regard when Lot told them that God would destroy the city and would not flee from the wrath to come. And so were consumed in that terrible destruction End quote. Do not delay. Today is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this simple yet urgent reminder of the true purpose of the law, which is to convict us of our sins and to bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus. For those of us who are believers in Christ already, thank you, Father, for your work in us, for the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to life bringing us to repentance and faith in your son. And we pray that through, because of the 10 commandments, you will continue father to work sanctification in us through the, the, the work of the Lord Jesus and the ongoing work of the Holy spirit. And for those in this room who have not yet considered the seriousness of sin and who are yet to come to Christ through faith and repentance. I pray, I pray Lord that you will use this word to bring about repentance and true faith that sinners who are walking in unrepentance will flee to the cross, find refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in him, knowing that he died for our sins and rose again for our justification. May the name of Christ be exalted both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.